guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. Hi guys, it's CJ and I have some exciting news. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa will be traveling to Seattle, Washington for PodCon 2, January 19th and the 20th, 2019. If you're a fan of the show, then you know that we are totally grassroots and so we are paying for this trip completely out of pocket. If you're a fan and you've got a little bit of spending money to kick around, we are going to list a link to our GoFundMe page in the description of this episode. So you can go in there, do a little click, and send us some money. We promise not to spend your money on booze unless you want us to. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey, 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 CJ, hey. <laughs> Welcome back to We Have No Idea What Episode This Is of the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. And thanks for hanging in. We took a break and didn't tell the 12 of you who are listening because we figured you were loyal enough that you'd come back so welcome back thanks for hanging in and we appreciate the like one person that reached out and was like where the fuck have you guys been oh yeah paula girl thanks thanks for checking in on us we're back so we decided to do an impromptu episode um which is on a day we don't normally record um black friday it's black friday yeah today's friday we don't i'm not working it's the day after thanksgiving and we decided to fucking do it so we're doing it i uh i can't speak for melissa but i know that i am stuffed to the max i'm pretty sure i've gained like 12 pounds in the last 48 hours nice so i want you guys to know i will be drinking this episode and i literally ate like six tums before i poured my wine (laughs) just to get this indigestion down and i'm doing it for you guys it's all for you and for Melissa. Thanks, CJ. I need it. I need the alcohol moral support today. I got you, girl. I got you. I got my $16 bottle of wine just for you. Nice. So what have you been up to? Do you want to dive in? Yes. So partially why we took a break was because I was traveling two weekends in a row. So it was a mix of work and play, but I went to all three places I've never been. So I went to Savannah, Georgia, which is super fucking cute. And anyone who's listening and hasn't been needs to go. It's got, unfortunately, I was a little bit sick at the beginning of the trip. So I didn't really do much in Savannah. I didn't party, but it is a town where like New Orleans, you can walk around on the street with alcohol and just drink. It's like an open carry container place so that was fun super cute want to go back when the weather is good and then I went to Hilton Head South Carolina which is gorgeous and then I went to Charleston which I'll talk about more when I talk about my lady but I wanted to tell you about the extra as fuck thing that I did in Savannah so I was driving I'd rented a car and I and like I said I was sick like I was in the middle of like a cold I just felt like trash 
and I pass this place and they have a banner that says IV parlor, like an I like an intravenous saline IV parlor that you can go to when you're like hungover and need to get rehydrated on the go. I've so, heard about this. Yes, I've never heard of it. I've gotten IVs before for alcohol poisoning in my college years. Fun, fun fact. So I was like, well, I'm not drinking, but I'm not feeling good. And I have a little bit of money and I just want to see what it's like to go to IV parlor. So I fucking went and bought myself with way too many American dollars an IV with B12 infusion so that I could recover faster from my illness. And it literally was what I would imagine an opium den from China would look like. It was like... (laughs) I'll send you a video. It was like these Persian rugs. It was like all of these beautiful cushions and chairs everywhere. They wrapped me in a blanket. They were bringing me filtered alkaline water. It was so ridiculous and way expensive and the most extra thing I've ever done. But I got a I got an IV on the go in Savannah, Georgia. And when I was coming out, you could see these two guys were walking in and they looked like fucking death. Like you could tell they had just been partying all night long. And when I went, I walked to like a cafe got lunch and came back and i saw them walking back out and they looked at least like 50 percent less trash than they did when they walked in so i think it's it's worth looking at if you're somewhere and you're really hungover like it'll get you back on track good to know that was that's my big alcoholic even though i wasn't even drunk that's my big alcoholic related adventure in savannah what's uh what's going on with you well I, outside of just having, like, a series of unfortunate events occurring back to back to back to back to back to back to back, um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know what's happening with me, but I've spent, like, five days analyzing what's happening with me, and the only thing I can come up with is that somehow, I don't know when or how it happened, but I have ended up in, like, this extremely low negative vibrational energy space and now like all the bad is coming my way shit i know like i think there's a demon in my soul (laughs) well duh but i mean (laughs) i like your demon (laughs) there's like a different demon (laughs) like a new demon and like i don't know how it happened and that's the most frustrating part is that i'm like trying to get to the core of like what went wrong and how and I can't figure it out but just to give like a little summary of what I've been dealing with since Monday today's Friday so it's literally been like what five days I guess maybe more like six days um I I guess like the first like series of unfortunate events would be finding out that um the relationship I've been in for five months um wasn't a relationship it was a pretend one so that like sucked that was like shitty thing number one and then like while I'm trying to make sense of that and like heal from that I fucking get like the most out of control bombing two days later where I receive a text message from an unknown number that I don't have and it's like paragraphs long and literally I'm being told like hey Melissa this is so and so um I'm reaching out to you because you are part of my 12-step recovery and you and I have a lot of things that we need to work through together 
And this is coming from somebody that I have not seen or heard from in 10 years. Wow. So I'm talking when I was 18 and 19 years old. Oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I'm sure you have a whole lot to talk through. (laughs) Exactly. And it was, like, sent to me when I was, like, mourning the loss of this boyfriend I don't have. And I'm, like, out with my friend, like, trying to, like, get female advice on what do I do, my relationship, wah, wah, wah. And then, like, lo and behold, here comes this 12-step recovery text about how I've led to someone's addiction problems and how I need to call them immediately because they're suffering and their mental health is at risk. And, like, I am now all of a sudden out of fucking nowhere responsible for somebody else's recovery and not only somebody else's recovery but like somebody i've not even thought of since i was 19 years old so it's kind of like okay what so like no so that's number two literally the same motherfucking night so this is like wednesday night the day before thanksgiving so like two days ago (laughs) that that recovery text comes in no sooner am i like in bed trying to fall asleep once again having sad depressing thoughts about that relationship i thought i had that i never had comes through another text message from another unknown number that i don't have in my phone at one in the morning being like hey just hoping you're well and wishing you a happy thanksgiving and it's like Okay, first of all, it's 1 a.m., and I don't have this number saved in my phone. So, like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is already, like, already a problem. Just thinking about you at 1 a.m., wondering how you're doing. Right? And so I, like, write back, because obviously I'm like, who is this? And I, like, I just send a question mark, like, huh? The person responds back and is like, oh, sorry, I guess I should have said it's so-and-so, which I don't want to go into the details of who this is, but it was somebody from my past who I had a somewhat of a relationship fling with, not a major boyfriend, like a just a fucking guy, who I have not heard from or seen from in two years. <laughs> And so I'm like, what in the fucking world? Like, where, where is this coming from? Why are you reaching out to me right now? Like, and so I'm kind of like laughing, like, whoa, like, what is happening? And like, I'm finding humor in how fucking out of control this is. And so I like say some things like, hey, like, happy Thanksgiving, kind of weird you're reaching out. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know just thinking about you and just want to make sure everything's good, um, so on, so on. If you're ever in OKC, because he lives in Oklahoma now. Oh, I was like, OK Cupid? What? Okay. No, if, if you're ever in Oklahoma City, <laughs> um, which for one, I will never be in Oklahoma like, who, City. Seriously, that is not a city where you quote unquote will ever be. Like- but also <laughs> keep in mind, I'm in Long Beach and it's 1 a.m. Yeah. and he's in Oklahoma City. So what is it, three? in the morning it's at least two i don't know if they're on mountain or central but yeah it's at least two okay so uh, he's like if you're ever in oklahoma city you know you have a place to stay at our house at our house exactly 
so i'm like exactly (laughs) (laughs) so i write back and i'm like our house question mark and he goes oh yeah me and my girlfriend soon to be fiance okay stop everybody fucking stop me and my girlfriend soon to be fiance Oh. information he felt he needed to send to me at two in the fucking morning on thanksgiving eve two years later after our relationship ends oh my god following the 12-step recovery addiction text following the breakup from my boyfriend that wasn't my boyfriend fuck so yeah there's this very very strange like low vibrating energy that i'm being sucked into and like i'm trying to figure out how the fuck to get out of it Mm -hmm. and like it's hard because it's just been like one thing after the next and it's like hard to maintain like a positive vibe when it just like you keep getting thrown daggers you know well so the other thing i wanted to say was like for those of you who are listening and somehow still do not believe in astrology we are in a mercury retrograde right fucking now and this is the kind of shit that happens in a mercury retrograde people from your past this is like textbook mercury retro people from your past just fucking pop up out of nowhere and especially for virgo who is ruled by mercury this is just like unfucking like unbelievable um Well, I feel like this year, the first half of this year for you was really different than the second half. Yeah. Like you, I felt like you were compared to, especially the last couple years, which I know were like a shit show for you. You were like taking steps to heal yourself, to like really work on shit that you maybe hadn't worked on or like you needed to get, to get through or whatever. Um, So, I mean, I think part of it is that so I don't know if you watch my tarot videos, but my I think it was my October Virgo video. I talked about like Virgo settling for something that wasn't worthy of them and how that like sets you guys up to fail later down the road. So I feel like part of it was like in terms of the relationship piece, like this just was someone who wasn't good enough for you. And it's like, I don't necessarily think we get punished for that. But I think, like, if we don't take care of that ourselves and we don't, like, elevate ourselves and, like, move on to something better, like, the universe will just, like, the tower card in the tarot, right? Like, the universe will just knock it down for us. It'll be like, fuck this. Like, this isn't good enough for you. You're not going to let it go, so I'm going to make you let it go. So I feel like all this to say as shitty as all of it feels and as shitty as as it is as your friend to say this, like, I actually do think it's all for good stuff it just fucking sucks while it's happening um and I think maybe like taking I know you had like taken a break from men maybe like taking another little before you fuck with dudes again like another little breather to like sage cleanse your whole fucking life put some garlic up your pussy like do whatever it is that you need to do to clean out the space but I feel you know what though like I do feel like it's one of those years for everyone too like I feel like the second half like starting around June like this summer I wouldn't say like my year got bad but like things just got really weird and complicated and heavier than it happened the first half of the year so I think like part of it is just like the mood of this year for everyone um definitely like you do have a thing i don't know what it is i don't know if like your pussy is just that popping but i feel like men have a way of like like you get so many more crawlback texts and calls and contacts than any other woman i know like i 
swear to God, men like keep trying to crawl back to you. I don't know if that feels true to you, but I feel like more than any girl I know, you get those all the time. Well, you know what it is? It's that, again, I don't know if this is due to like me not being done with my healing journey or whatever, but I consist, I mean, since all my relationships have ended and I've been like pretty like not, I haven't had a serious relationship in like four years since Elliot, Elliot and I broke up. And so like anybody I've dated, which has been in the millions, they never last. Like it's like, it'll be a couple months. Like I can't get past six months anymore. And like, I don't know if, I don't, that could be a great thing. Like, maybe that's a fucking great thing. Like, maybe that's proof that, like, I'm recognizing that things aren't working and I leave them before I get trapped. Or it could be the opposite, that it's still proof that I'm dating the wrong men. Like, I don't know which way to look at it. But for all the, like, for the mass majority, like, my relationships with men end um, mostly under the same theme that like I am not being valued and like I end up with people that don't see how special I am or like all of the great qualities I have to offer their lives other people's lives like I'm not being I mean valued I guess that's the way to put it and so these these relationships end and time goes by and who comes back into the mix oops my bad miss you, been thinking about you, really miss your positive energy. Like, these are literally things that I've heard out of men's mouths. Like, specifically, one I get all the time is, like, life's been, like, so dull without you in it. I just, like, really miss your positivity. And it's like, well, you had it, and you didn't want it. (laughs) So This makes me think of, like, one time, sorry to laugh, but one time you showed me, like, a screenshot of one such convo, and the, the dude said, like, true like said all that and then at the end he said truly though like t-h-o and i like to this day use that phrase like <laughs> truly though like, and you responded with go eat a horse dick as yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> truly though um well i have like shit to say but like i don't want to make you mad but i have like thoughts if you i feel it. like you want them okay cool this is gonna be a, a great fucking episode guys sit in bitches welcome to black friday um i do think like i remember when i was talking to you if like a month or so ago because i listeners like i have been celibate <laughs> on and off to be fair but <laughs> like mostly on since i was like 25 i'm now 31 so um And that was for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, I was talking about, like, dating again. I was getting, like, the fire a few weeks ago. And Melissa and I were texting back and forth about it. And you said something about kind of, like, not... I don't know exactly how you phrased it. But basically, like, not coming on... You didn't say this. But, like, not coming on too strong until, like, you hook them. And then you can, like, hit that... Like, you just be, like, fun. And the girl next door was the phrase you used. And, like, fun and, like, the girl next door. And then once you, like, hook them and they like you, then you can, like, let all the other, like, freak nasty shit out, basically. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a direct quote. But it did make me think I was, like... 
Oh, like Melissa and I date in like two very different ways because the reason I used to do that all throughout my 20s and then we would get to a point where like I would be fully myself with people and it wouldn't work for whatever reason, whether like they didn't value it or it freaked them out or like whatever it was. Right. And so I think maybe that's part of it is like you are super, super fun and you're also a lot of other things too. And like, I think maybe being more of the other things earlier on will help filter that shit earlier on. Cause like, I think what happens with you is because you are so fun, you get caught with men who kind of just want to have fun and they're not capable of like handling all the other, like very badass things about you. And, but they don't really know that those badass things are involved until they're, they're with you for a few months. That's like, take it or leave it. I don't know if that. No. And it's actually like, it makes a lot of sense which again I don't know where this shift in my dating life happened but like the three long-term relationships that I have had Mm -hmm. like I was the most batshit crazy I'd ever been in my whole life exactly like those guys like literally saw it day one and I just never held back because I think I I was more careless then yeah I had like I didn't give a fuck yeah and like at some point in my maturity that switched where like I started caring and like with that care came like a lot of more I'm like tiptoeing around things now and I'm like strategically thinking how is this gonna work like I I don't know that like recklessness that I used to have yeah um I don't have that as much anymore and I think it has affected my relationships with men And, like, that sounds nuts. Like, I need to be crazier and more reckless. Like, I don't know that that's true. Like, I have calmed down over the years. But, like, I was a fucking wild child. And I, you know, I didn't apologize for it. Mm -hmm. And men saw that. And they fucking loved it. And they were with me and committed to me long term. And, like, loved me. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, some of those relationships got toxic here and there. And they eventually ended. But, like... Like, I was in, like, very committed, serious relationships with men that loved me. And I haven't had that ever again since I left San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it was maybe the li- leaving San Francisco part and the coming back here to Southern California and, like, starting my life over and, like, figuring out, like, who how to be a mature person in society and take care of myself and start my healing pro Like, I don't know, but it all got fucked. And now I'm just, like, chronically in these short-term relationships with men that like literally don't think I'm that cool they're like oh sweet like we had a good time but like I don't actually value all these great characteristics that you have I think it's like a scales balance too so like I think as you get as we get older we become more aware of like how like what some of our flaws are and I'm actually a big proponent of like not trying to fix your flaws because I actually think that's a huge waste of energy I think it's really hard to change your personality and it's like smarter to just figure out what your flaws are and kind of find workarounds for them you know what I mean so like if you know you're like gonna get really mad if somebody offends you like negotiating that in a relationship up front be like hey I tend to have a short temper but like here are the things we can do if we need to have a conference you know like managing it like not trying to fix it or change it but just finding a way to manage around it all this to say like I feel like as we get older we start to understand those things about ourselves more and we we become like hyper aware of them to the point where like subconsciously we try to edit them out when we present ourselves to other people until we get better at like integrating them into our personality if that I don't know if that makes sense but like we like as we become more aware of it we're like holy shit like I'm xyz like maybe I should withhold that a little bit 
and we don't come out the gate with it like we did when we were young and reckless, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I well, feel like it, like you're in that in between, and so am I to some extent, like in that in between, figuring out like how do you kind of like keep not necessarily keep it in check, but like maybe not come out the gate like that, but also still let people see that side of you, but not well, like. And I think like on like another aspect of all of this another perspective to all of this is the fact that like when i had these long-term relationships like online dating didn't exist like Uh, i i met these men like in my real Uh, fucking life you know so real and like i had known them before the relationship connected so like we both were in shared similar spaces around each other got to know each other a little bit and then we're like hey i'm attracted to you and i'm interested in you and then you develop a relationship where Mm. it's a very strange dynamic to be two complete strangers that have decided to meet up off of an electronic device because i mean the assumption would be that we're on a dating app to actually date people to be in a relationship but that's the strange thing about online dating is that that's what the women are looking for and that is not what the men are looking for for the most part i can't say that about every fucking person but like within my experience over the past four years of online dating i have met men through these apps and none of them wanted to be with me but like none of them felt the need to tell me that until like they decided to let me know yeah well that and it's like it's different like whereas you just meet someone in real life like there's no expectation there's no pressure it's just like if you fucking vibe you fucking vibe how cool oh my god what now we're like we are into each other romantically great whereas like in apps it's like the first time you meet there's an expectation that like you guys are gonna try to date or right you know you're gonna like feel it out but it's not organic right it's like more forced it's like you're trying to fit it to a certain thing you know and so i feel like you there has to be strategy behind like how do i be who i am but like not too much too soon because like we still need to get to know each other genuinely and then it's like okay like we have this vibe and this chemistry like when do we when is it time to have more serious conversations about what we're really looking for long term but oh it's only been a couple months it's too soon to talk about it let's just go with the flow and like keep just having a good time but then it's like wait fuck it's five months and now it's like let's be together and it's like wait no i don't want to be with you because i can't commit emotionally it's like oh great so why am i meeting your family and going on vacations with you oh i don't know whoops my bad i guess i thought i wanted this but i don't cool yeah (laughs) i do think like legit that's a good point like i think the way we date now electronically is a big part of that i do because like i i was thinking girl i was thinking the same thing yesterday like I had, like, side note, we'll get into this some other episode, but I had the craziest fucking life from, like, the age of 19 to 23. I mean, it was just, I was, like, going through it. I was like, holy fuck, how am I alive? And somehow, like, all of this crazy stuff was going on, and I always managed to be dating someone. And I, now I'm like, I don't, I can't even imagine, like, meeting someone in the real world and just developing a relationship with them but like that's what i did for five fucking years from you know what i mean that's how we all did it for millennia people just met and like had relationships but i do i do think it's like kind of changed how we approach stuff and like there is something kind of like 
you can't be as real right away, I think. And I think, like, before, the reason it was so easy for you is because, like, you were just meeting people in real life and it was organic and they either fucking liked it or they didn't. And they weren't trying to, to kind of make it work or just use an app to get laid. Normally, I would be talking mad shit right now if, like, this was just you and I at a bar. But I don't know if you, like, want me to do that on the air. So I'm not going to do it. I figured you're, like, I'm being very... I'm just, like, I'm trying to, like, do the opposite of what I normally do. So, like, for instance... You are. No, but, like, I... So I started recognizing old patterns come back over the past five days one of which like trying to flee like literally like monday night i'm on the computer looking at flights and i'm like where am i going yes like but that's a bad thing because i (laughs) always do that i fucking run i'm like Mm. i can't deal with the pain that i'm feeling so i'm gonna fucking hop on a plane and go somewhere and get distracted by like the inspiration of another place and that works temporarily and then i get home and i'm like still depressed And so, like, the biggest reason why I started going to therapy this year was to learn coping mechanisms because I discovered through therapy that I don't have them. And so I don't know how to cope with pain. And I use other outlets to get through it. And that's that's something as a fucking mature adult I need to learn how to get past. I have to, like, I, I need to allow myself to fucking hurt and then feel that hurt and, like, let it fucking suck And then, like, process it and then start thinking about it intellectually and start making sense of why I'm hurting and where this is coming from and then forgive myself for being in pain. Like, I've gone my whole life blocking out pain. And so, I like, the biggest thing I have to do is allow myself to feel it and to not constantly try to escape it. Because when I do that, I never work through it and then it haunts me my whole life. So... I've been hurting like fucking hell all week and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, word on that. Yeah. Word but on that. I was like Well, I think you're doing everything right. Like you're talking it out with people and you're also channeling it into creative shit. Which is like those are two of like the best top things you can fucking do. When well, you know what else thing. is funny? Hmm. Right before I was looking at flights, actually, so like literally Sunday night, I had this like horrible conversation about the state of my non-existent relationship, and I was just like fucking crying all day, and like for whatever reason, like that heartbreak that I was feeling inspired, like. A lot of the times when, like, I feel heartbreak, I, like, become critical of myself, and instead of thinking, like, I just immediately think, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me, and so, like, right when I started having those feelings, I, like, instantly went to my website, and I just started rereading all of the blogs I've ever written, and I went through every single one, and I read them all, and by the end of it, I was laughing my fucking ass (laughs) off. And I was like, I'm fucking sick as fuck. Like, I am so fucking cool. I've lived such a fucking great life. Like, I can, I've been through a lot, but I can articulate it and understand it well. And I'm able to process that in humor and creativity. And, like, I've used my life experience, good or bad. And, like, I'm, I don't know. I was just so proud of myself. And I feel like it's such a weird thing because I think I've gone a lot, a, like, several months. Basically, I stopped writing before I went to Bali because I think mm-hmm. I was just trying to, like, focus on, like, healing my spirit side and for whatever reason just, like, didn't really write. And, like, I haven't written since I've gotten back. And so 
I like read through all those articles and I was just like cracking up at myself and just like reading my sentences and just being like, you're fucking hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's empowering, you know, it's like, and that's the thing is it's like, he doesn't even know I write. Like, he's never even read anything I've ever written. Like, he doesn't know me, really. Yeah. And I think that's the depressing part, is because I was really trying to get there, and I was ready to get there, and he didn't allow it. And so it's like, you prematurely ended something before actually allowing yourself to know who I am in my core. Yeah. You got you you got surface level Melissa and she was fucking great but like right when I was ready to let you in in and really show you who I am you ran. Yeah. And so it was kind of just like whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say it? Say what? Fuck him. <laughs> all right, that's all I'm going to say. That's all okay. I'll say. And oh, we're done. There. We're done. We're done there. with all of it. All right, sorry, we are back. We had to end for a minute because of CJ's really terrible audio on her end that flickered throughout the entire ex-boyfriend, addict, fiancé rage of mine. So if you heard heard noises like someone was farting in cellophane <laughs> panties, that was my <laughs> shitty microphone. But there's something we can do to fix it. Hear it. God damn it. How about now? No, it's gone now. I have it as stretched out as it can possibly stretch. <laughs> and this is really uncomfortable. I don't think I can do it. That's what she said. Shut up. <laughs> okay, what about now? It's great. Okay. This is this I can't do this the whole recording. I'm holding up my microphone like Mark Wahlberg and Rockstar. And I just like, can't keep doing it. So this is gonna have to Oh my end. god. Anyway, the solution is for us to get more listeners and sponsorship and money for good audio equipment. So <laughs> somehow we're gonna make this all about you not being good enough. <laughs> just like insulting our existing listeners. Like, why can't you guys just become one thousand listeners? I don't understand. Oh my god. Anyway. So quick quick wine review. <laughs> 70 minutes in okay (laughs) great okay let's do this quickly you want to go first yeah so i am i actually don't know what this is called it's called prisma and i bought it for the label which is just like this rainbow geometric label say how pretty it is it's so pretty (laughs) (laughs) it is a sauvignon blanc out of casablanca valley chile 2017 uh it's all right it's it's a little it's a little sweet for me but it's not bad like i'll drink the whole bottle and it was of course purchased at the whole paycheck for 15.99 nice um considering the fact that i go to the bar and drop like a hundred bucks on like seven glasses of wine when i go out i like 15 is nothing we're good we're good so it's like it's all right prisma doing okay Sweet. I have one of these wines from my wine club. Remember I showed this to you before. 2017 white wine blend from Santa Barbara. It's called Funk Zone. Mm. It's actually really good. 
but it was just sitting on my countertop like I didn't have it refrigerated so for glass number one I had ice in it but I've already am on glass number two and I've been too lazy to get up and get more ice so now it's just room temperature I love that that sucks but I love that you mentioned that because I did a flash freeze on my wine which I assume you know how to do but we might educate our our listeners what in the freezer yeah so you you put you wrap it in a wet paper towel I've never done this okay so this is a, a hack for getting your wine cool fast if you have room temperature wine you wet a paper towel you wrap it around the wine bottle and you throw it in the freezer for like as long as you can and it'll get it way colder way quicker than if you just put it straight in the freezer or the fridge nice yeah so I did that. Well, with well, when it's your turn to go I'll, and we take like a pee break, I'll probably go get more ice or that. But um, it's actually really good. I'm I'm ple- I'm happy with it. It's like it's going to get me drunk. Like, let's just say that. Like, it's not right. too sweet. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to realize like, I mean, I've always drinking a lot of wine, but now I really drink a lot of wine now that we have this podcast. And I'm realizing that I very much enjoy blends yes like of white and red yes yeah like almost more than I do of a regular just like one varietal same so this is a blend of 50% Sauve Blanc 25 Vignier is that how you say it sure and then 25 Grenache Blanc. And, like, I'm positive I hate Grenache on its own. And I think Vignier, which I'm totally saying wrong, but I believe that's, like, a sweeter table wine, which I would hate. But mixed with Sauvignon Blanc, it's the fucking shit! Ooh. So, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. And it has a really cute label. Tell the listeners again. Um, so, it's basically, like, this sort of pseudo-psychedelic label. It's a girl wearing... Like a astronaut helmet, or that's just her hair. But it looks really cool. No, it's like a biker helmet. Like she's a motorcycle chick, and she has this psychedelic bike helmet on, basically. I mean, that's and like sense. warrior paint. That's exactly what I said. So I don't understand the problem. Okay, I'm Your gonna woman, go into. Go. I'm gonna go into my woman. Okay, so. This whole week, I've been trying to figure out who I'm going to cover, mainly because this week has fucking sucked, and I've told you all the things I've already told you in the intro, and so I'm like, who can I cover that will help me feel empowered, but also help me feel like I can relate? How Who's going to help me get through this week? And I decided to choose somebody who is literally one of my absolute most favorite women on the face of the fucking earth, but I have intentionally not covered her yet because I've been waiting for the right time. Okay. I didn't just want to be like, you know, throw her out one week for no reason. I knew that I needed to have an inspiration to when I'd cover her, and this is fucking it. Yeah, she's like your bottom bitch. She's my bottom bitch for a couple of reasons. Before I say her name, I'm just going to sum up why. Like, even though I'm not famous and haven't even amounted to anything that she's amounted to... I I relate to her on so many levels, including her her youth how she felt when she was growing up as a child her need to escape to something that had more meaning her escaping to san francisco of all places her affiliation with the grateful dead Hmm. and 
her very troubled identity in like knowing that she has this creative, powerful, you know, super special talent and like energy that she gave to the world, but like in a sense struggling with the fact that she is always looking for people to remind her that she is worthy of love. Oh my, I think I know. Oh my God. Who is it? So today we are covering the great, the beautiful, the powerful, the spiritual, the talented Janis Joplin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weep for this whole episode. Okay. I am going to weep for this whole episode. Oh, yes! And so I've loved Janis Joplin my entire fucking life. She is a huge fucking inspiration to me for not only all the reasons I just named, but just like... She's just one of the most powerful women in the music industry in an era where it was really, you know, impactful. So, everybody knows who Janis Joplin is. If you don't, maybe you live in a different country and you aren't aware of, like, 1960s, like, music. But well, that was, like, the end of the episode. You're like, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is a American-born singer who was born in Texas, and she is considered to be, like, I think literally, like, she's known as the first lady of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, she was more, most prevalent in the 1960s. She unfortunately lived a short life due to addiction problems, but um, I'll tell you the full story about her. So she was born in 1943 in a small town called Port Arthur, Texas. She was the oldest of three children, and she developed a love for music, Um, after she began singing at the choir in her uh, community's church, but ultimately got kicked out of the choir because she didn't follow their directions. (laughs) She was a good kid, and she was pretty popular, like, in her younger days, until she reached puberty at the age of, like, 14 or whatever, and her physical appearance started to change. Um, with puberty typically comes acne and like weight gain and like women's bodies are starting to develop strange shapes and like we're a little awkward and uncomfortable and during that period of her life she was noticing how different she looked from like all of these beautiful women that were portrayed in magazines and she was looking at some of her peers who were going through puberty a little bit more forgiving than she was and unfortunately at that time in her youth she started to develop you know insecurities about her appearance and it didn't help due to the fact that all of her peers around her also made fun of her due to her appearance so she began to really struggle with the idea of like am i a desirable human being Mm. and um in high school she also really struggled feeling like she couldn't connect to her community or any of her classmates it was just like one of those organic things where it's like we just aren't vibing you know like we're different we have a different energy like there's just it's just not connecting and so as a result she decided to kind of like she's like i can't coast in this strange space so like i gotta pick a side and she decided to be the wild child she like took out that like awkward energy and the, like not being able to connect to people and like decided to like really develop her personality into this like 
person that like rocked the boat she pushed the limits she typically went against the grain of like what the female expectations and gender norms were during that time period and like she felt good about it so she kind of took on that character and she rolled with it um at the same time in her youth she was like she was like above her time she had um like a lot of ideas about like what being a good person was and none of those morals matched up with like what the rest of the south was thinking during that time period so like ideas about racism about like female empowerment like all of these things that she just organically thought were like good the rest of her community didn't and they opposed them and so that also kind of led to even further deep-rooted feelings of just detachment and like unable to relate or connect with the people around her and one of these views that she did have that was considered more radical during this time period was her acceptance of immigration like she was very vocal during high school about like her believing that immigration was like the moral thing for society to accept and to like promote which during this time period in port arthur texas the kkk still existed I mean, they still like, exist now, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were like, I mean, the KKK, well, which they still are taking pitchforks to community gatherings and shit, but, like, the KKK was, like, in her school, you know? Right. <laughs> and so happen. she was, like, out here promoting immigration and obviously it had extreme backlash from her peers and um, a group of, like, KKK supporting male like youth at her high school basically fucking destroyed her for it she was like harassed on a daily basis like physically they would like throw objects at her and they would call her names and she was like the number one target for the entire last three years of her high school she started to like you know dress differently she intentionally would refuse the female fashion of like the late 1950s that the kids were still kind of like trying to emulate and she would often wear men's shirts with tights or like men's shirts with really short skirts and she was just like intentionally trying to break the female gender roles and like as far as her physical appearance went um she eventually developed a group of guy friends who had similar music interests as she did and they typically gravitated more towards like the blues and the jazz music and this was the pretty cool i was thinking about you in this they would often take off to go frequent these like working class bars to listen to music in the town of vinton louisiana I don't know where that is. I didn't know if that's near you. Okay. No idea. Um, so by her senior year of high school, Janice had developed a reputation as, like, this ballsy, tough-talking girl who liked to drink and be outrageous. That is literally the exact definition of me from 18 to 19. <laughs> like, I was that. Like, I was, I was exactly that. And, like, that's why, of course, 12 Steps had to come back and be like, why were you such a crazy bitch? I don't know. Ask Janice. Can I say it? What? Fuck him. <laughs> Um, so in the 19, in 1962, Janice went to the University of Texas, Austin, where she studied art. And in Austin, Janice began performing at various gigs with a group of guy friends she made who were part of a band called the Waller Creek Boys Band. Um, she amazed audiences with just like 
obviously her forceful and like super raw gutty style of singing um she was basically like unlike any other female vocalist during that time and people were seeing it in austin texas they were like holy fuck who is this chick but at the same time you know it's still texas it's still fucking texas and so um this next piece i'm going to tell you about is actually was taken out of this documentary where in this documentary like people throughout janice's life like are being interviewed to talk about her and so like there's this guy that's from the um the waller creek band whatever i just called that band now i can't find it anymore the waller creek boys band so one of these kids who's now like 70 years old that used to party with her and like perform with her in austin he's being interviewed and he basically is telling this horrible upsetting story about how when they were in austin one of like i guess a thing that literally used to occur at like austin university or whatever that college is there's like fraternities there and they would they had like a fraternity newsletter and every year is a joke the fraternity would publish this like article as a joke that was like titled like ugliest guy of the year and they'd like pick one of the guys from the fraternity and make fun of him and clown him because that's how fucking men are and so i know hilarious and so this guy is telling the story and he's like unfortunately that year janice was nominated and he's telling the story about how when she found out and she saw it published and it was like out there and people were laughing and it was a whole thing she was like so fucking crushed and this man at like 70 something years old is literally crying in the interview telling the story he was like I was just a young boy then, but, like, looking back and, like, remembering today, like, how horribly that affected her, he just starts sobbing. He's like, I'd known Janice for a long time. She was the strongest woman I'd ever known. She was, like, so, like, unapologetically herself, but in that moment, she was like destroyed and he was like that was the first time i ever saw her cry and then he's like sobbing telling the story it's like fucking heartbreaking it's so painful and so after this happened it like became increasingly harder for her to like coexist around these insane angry men like first it's the fucking kkk in high school now we're dealing with these like psychopath frat like psychopath frat guys in austin texas like you know it's just like jesus christ can the girl just fucking sing and exist like does every man in her life have to fucking destroy her it's just like let a girl live like fuck so she's like freaking out just like i can't do this anymore like it's not worth it like what's the fucking point and like you know, she, like, her actual immediate friend group were people that she connected with. They were people that valued the same things as her, whether that be music or poetry or, like, they were into the beatnik generation. And so, like, she had friends that were into the same shit as her, but, like, you know, she was so passionate about all of these creative outlets that it was, like, it still wasn't enough because the people in her actual world were complete garbage. And so she's like, how am I to be inspired and like create art 
when I'm inspired by art, but none of the art is here in the life that I'm looking at every day. Like, it sucks that type of, like, it sucks the ability for you to, like, really, you know, prosper when you're surrounded by these psychopaths. And so she knew that she needed to fucking run. She's like, I gotta get the hell out of here or else I'm, like, gonna die. Like, I'm never gonna survive or be who I need to be if I'm still stuck in Port Arthur, Texas. So... In 1963, she drops out of college and she takes off with her friend Chet Helms to go check out the emerging music scene in San Francisco, California. She loved the blues, she felt the blues, and she drank and did drugs because she wanted to emulate, like, what the the blues was. And, like, in a sense, she sort of became and, like, lived the art that she was trying to create. Like, the music that she was putting out into the world she couldn't do if, like, her own life wasn't living it at the same time. So she, like, had this tendency to, like, which we all, if you know Janice, you know she had drug addiction problems and she was kind of crazy, but I think it was almost like she had to be in order to create the magic that she wanted to create or else, like, it wouldn't wouldn't be genuine, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she kind of, like, she moved to San Francisco and... When she arrived, she met this woman named Linda, who was African-American, and she became Janice's first romantic lesbian partner. I had no idea she was a lesbianist. Well, or she, ha- was ex- she did, had some fun during things. the 60s. It was yeah. the 60s. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And so that's kind of what I'm about to tell you, is that, like, literally right when she showed up, she meets um, Linda at this bar on, like, fucking Polk or something like that. And, um, they, like, hit it off, and, like, Janice is singing or whatever, and they're, like, they're, like, jiving and feeling each other, and so they literally, like, move in, which, like, is every lesbian we've ever met in San Francisco. We call it the (laughs) U-Haul. The U-Haul lesbian. (laughs) So they, like, meet, and they instantly move in together. And they have... In a week. Yeah, like, literally (laughs) that week. And so they, like, have this love affair, and... You know, Linda is being interviewed in this documentary. You get to see Linda, and then you get to look at pictures of them when they were young in San Francisco when they first met, and Linda's kind of, like, being like, you know, Janice, she loved the blues. She 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 had a lot of conflict with herself, though. She was really unhappy, but when she was on stage, she felt like she had what... She finally was able to represent all that she had to offer, but she only felt that way when she was on a stage. And Linda was, like, getting increasingly more frustrated because Janice loved the attention and she loved feeling like people valued her and found her desirable. And so she was kind of diddling around with other men and other women. And Linda's like, yo, I'm, like, an actual fucking lesbian and I'm trying to, like, be with you and you're, like, not really trying to be with me. Word. And so she cut things off with Janice And, like, literally, like, probably no time later, Janice has met this new person, and it's this English man named, I think his name was Peter, Peter Duvois or something, and they, like, instantly hit it off, they're, like, in love, and then they immediately decide to, like, become full-blown drug addicts together. And so, like, it's fucked up, like, it sucks, you know? She, like, meets this guy, falls in love with him, and then, like, I'm sure he probably introduced her to, like, a world of drugs, and she just fell for it. But it's so crazy. So, like, Linda is telling the story about that. She tells that story. And she's like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, Janice and Peter are living in their apartment right off Geary behind Tommy's joint. I'm just like, 
instant die. Like, like hearing all of these like landmark places that I've been, like, you know how many times I've been in Tommy's joint? Like, just even hearing her say that fucking Janice lived in an apartment behind Tommy's joint. Yeah. Like, I can't even tell you what that, like, does to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but anyway, so they're, like, all strung out in this fucking apartment behind Tommy's joint, and they're just, like, raging, like, drug addicts, and they have, like, no furniture in this house, and they're all strung out on drugs, and she's literally withering away, like, full skin and bones, and, like, dying, and all of her friends come together, and they're like, holy shit, like, she's gonna die, like, we need to save her, what are we gonna do, and so they all, like, put their money together in a hat, and they're, like, able to, like, these are, like, a bunch of burnout hippies, they're, like, putting all their money together in a hat, and they're able to, like, come up with enough money to get her on a Greyhound bus back to Texas, so Janice is, like, literally goes through an intervention, and, like, they send her back home, and so her, she leaves, and, like, her and Peter decide that, like, okay, we're both drug addicts, like, we have to like go home to go back to our homes get clean figure our fucking lives out and then like once we're clean and like got it like figured out we're gonna get married like let's get back together and get married so she's like away back home in texas and her and peter like send each other letters all the time back and forth like old school love letters and this is one that i wanted to read because i thought it was really really funny but also just kind of like a good um reflection of just like I don't know, Janice, I guess. So she says, Dear Peter, well, I'm home now and I have your picture on the desk where I do my homework. Everybody in the family sees it and they all agree you're handsome. I really love you and I'm attempting to find a semblance of pattern in my life. I find I've gone out with great vigor every time and gotten really fucked up. All I did was be wild, fuck people, drink constantly and sang. I went to San Francisco, kind of wanting to find an old man and be happy, but I didn't. I just found Linda and became a meth freak. Jesus fucking Christ, I just want to be happy so fucking bad. Oh, baby. Sweet. I know. Well, it's like a mix. It's like she's so emotionally complex. She's like, I love you. Also, I'm miserable. Like, it's yeah. like these two different things at once. Oh, I feel like she just, like, doesn't know what to do. Like, she's just like, I love you, but I like to party, and I want to be famous and sing, and, like, that doesn't mesh, and, like, I can't love you and be famous and sing and not be strung out on drugs, and, like, I came here to find this, but I can't have that because I need that, like, it's just all complicated, you know? Yeah. So, at one point, like, fucking Peter comes to visit her in Texas, and he literally, like, asks her father, like, formally for her hand in marriage before, like, he ends up actually proposing to her, and, like, she thinks, like, you know, this is gonna be my husband, we're gonna be together, I just gotta stay here a little longer and get more clean and get things sorted out, and then the letters stop coming, and Janice is like, what the fuck's going on? And so she's, like, super embarrassed because she's just been, like, raging about this guy to her family for, like, months now. And, like, I'm gonna, I, I you know, I, I hit a low point, but, it, like, I'm better now and I just, we just gotta get clean and me and Peter. And, like, she's horrified because she's, like, so embarrassed that she told her family that, like, I'm, I'm gonna have my fairy tale and now he's just, like, not coming through And so she's tripping out, and one day she, like, calls his phone, and another woman answers the phone. And so that was just, that was that. Uh, 
Oh my god, and this was like back in the time of landlines where like you didn't know who was calling, so you yeah. couldn't even like fake the funk. Yeah. Uh, So that happens and she decides to slowly like start performing again and in May 1966 she was recruited by a friend named Travis Rivers to audition for a new psychedelic rock band based in San Francisco called the Big Brother and the Holding Company. Um, So Janice is like well fuck like I can't like I can't skip out on this opportunity. I know I probably shouldn't go back to San Francisco because I really fucked up last time I was there. My parents are going to be so mad. And so she's like, what am I going to do? She decides like, I got to go. Like, I'm miserable here. Like, yeah, like I got clean and I'm better, but like, I can't survive in Texas. Like, that's already been proven my whole youth. Like, I can't not be a performer. And so she tells her parents, I'm headed off to Austin, Texas for the weekend, going to do a couple little coffee shop shows. She gets in a car with fucking Travis and they leave and they go to San Francisco and they never return. Yes. <laughs> So her parents are horrified because they find out when they receive a letter from her in San Francisco being like, so yeah, obviously I didn't go to Austin and like, I'm not coming home because I went to San Francisco, but like, I couldn't tell you because I knew if I did, you would yell at me and tell me not to go. And I'm sorry for betraying you and this, that, and the other. And like, all of this is like, literally like you're reading her words to her family. And it's like, so... It's just fucking insane. Like, you have to watch this shit. It's, like, the most powerful thing on Earth. Um, so she, she, her parents are horrified, and they basically tell her in a letter responding back to be like, Janice, you're going to die. Like, you are going to die, and we're fucking scared. Like, you need to be careful. And she knew it. She was like, I know. Like, I can't do drugs. I can't get back into drugs. So she, like, makes a pact with her new bandmates that, like, I cannot be around drugs. Nobody can be shooting up in front of me. Like, it can't fucking happen, or else I'm gonna, like, be out again. And so... She knew she was, like, making, like, taking a major risk, but in a sense, like, it was worth it to her because she knew if she didn't go back to San Francisco and pursue this music, like, lifestyle, she would be fucking miserable and whatever, like, the plan B was. She'd also die in Texas. Yeah, she'd probably die in Texas. Yeah. So she joined the Big Brother band and originally was just, like, singing a couple songs and, like, playing the tambourine in the background. But it wasn't long until Janice's, like, role in the band escalated because when people went to go see them and the few songs she would sing, it would get such a rise out of the audience and they'd be like, more, more, more. So, like, she went from kind of just being, like, the sideshow of this band to, like, literally taking it over unintentionally because that was just what the audience wanted. And, like, the band wasn't fucking happy about it. They were basically, like, what the fuck? Like, you were just supposed to be, like, this chick, like, doing back background vocals. And, like, they like you more than us. And so it was, like, a, it was complicated. The band, like, got really famous. And people were loving them. And then she began to hang out with the Grateful Dead and was literally kicking it at the famous Haight-Ashbury house, like, all the fucking time. And anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge fucking deadhead. So this gets me really excited. <laughs> um but they were like one big huge happy family and they all were like we're these like insane musicians and we're gonna change the world and so janice starts dating pig pen which is literally the name of a guy that is was in the grateful dead at that time and it's so funny because my favorite man of all time bob weir who is a main member of the band 
he's being interviewed and he's talking about fucking Janice and he's like telling the story about how he's like, you know, Janice and Pigpen, they had this on and off again, little love affair. And, you know, whenever she'd come over to the house, I never really got a lot of sleep that night. And then he's just like smiling. He's just like smirking. And she's like, he's like, Janice wasn't really all that quiet in the sack. (laughs) Same. And so she fucking, like, loved the Grateful Dead. Like, not, like, their just their music, but just the people in the band. Like, she was like, this is my fucking family. Like, I'm home. And she found them so inspiring. And so another letter she sends back home to her parents is about this. And she sends a picture, which is literally, you see it in this inter- in this documentary, it is the most iconic fucking picture that probably exists outside of that house on Haight-Ashbury, where, like, the whole band is on the little stoop steps, and she's there and like a bunch of other fucking musicians during that time and they're all perched up on like the typical san francisco stoop and it's just like the 1960s and it's like in our fucking home and she sends it's all black and white and she sends this picture and this is what she says she's like isn't pig pen cute they make pig pen t-shirts now and i have one in red those people are all friends of mine. Aren't they amazing? The people with stars after their names, those are the members of the band. I'm in the back on the left. Really an amazing picture. They aren't dressed up. They look that way all the time. Now looking at it with perspective, I'm not so far out after all, eh? So one day, they're all at this party off California Street. And this is very typical of Grateful Dead parties, concerts, venues, even today. And this has happened to me before. So they were all at this party in California Street, off California Street, and they were passing around a bottle of what appeared to be sparkling wine. Oh no, but it wasn't sparkling wine. It got to Janice, and she took a big swig of the sparkling wine, and the person next to her said, damn, you must really want to get high. And she's like, what? And he said, there's about 60 to 80 hits of acid in that bottle. You need to tell people that in advance. So she takes off running to the bathroom and, like, is putting a finger down her throat, throwing up. I've literally done this in San Francisco after I've consumed something. I did not know what it I thought it was this, and it wasn't. And then I was told, like, hey, you know, you just ate, like, a 90,000 thing of acid. Well, what do you do in that, that moment? Tu- is that your tuna sandwich story? That is my tuna sandwich story. She got story. dosed by a tuna sandwich. I did get dosed by a tuna sandwich. And right after that happened, I ran into the bathroom and started pr- trying to projectile vomit everything I had consumed. But that's not how acid works. So she got really fucking high. And once you're really fucking high like that, like, you kind of just get into this, like, mental space where you just, like, coast. Just go with it. Like, you can't, you can't reject it. Like, once psychedelics are in, it's, you, you ride that fucking wave, you know? Because if you don't, it will go south real quick. So you, like, have to accept what's happening and, like, enjoy it almost. So they fucking bounce out and they head to the Fillmore and they hop into, like, I, I, like, I don't know if it was a bar on the Fillmore or where they were out in the Fillmore, but they walk in and Otis Redding is on stage. Oh, my God! This woman's life! <laughs> right? Oh, my God! So, she's all high off acid, 
and like uh, sees Otis Redding for the first time in her life. I don't even know that she's ever heard his music before this moment. And like one of the guys is telling the story on the interview. He was like high with her and like they went into the Fillmore and she literally just sits down in the middle of the fucking ground and just stares and watches in complete awe. And after that night, this guy says Janice's music was never the same again. She started incorporating all this, like, super, like, soulfulness. Like, all of her, like, ah! You know? Like, it was all inspired by Otis Redding from that one night of taking too much acid on accident and ending up in the Fillmore. <laughs> Isn't that fucking nuts? So, Janice and the Big Brother Band appear at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, and they were... <laughs> that's what it was called (laughs) and they receive like major praise from the audience but like specifically around janice and so like the band's pissed and after hearing the performance this like president of columbia records named clive davis like wants to go sign the band and they get signed but like at this time janice had like somehow ended up back into drugs i don't know if it was that acid fucking night or what was happening i mean the grateful dead used a lot of fucking drugs they didn't ever shoot up heroin i mean i think jerry garcia did but like most of them were just psychedelic they were like just trying to like have the good vibe you know and so i don't know that like i don't think the dead introduced her to heroin but i have no idea so anyway she's like at this point now where like she's going on stages like high off heroin and like having just chugged a shitload of bourbon and like she's up there and she's totally like unrestrained sexually and she's just raw and gusty and like ah like just doing her fucking janice and like it's working like it like people are like eating that shit up and fucking loving it but her bandmates are pissed and like they're pissed about it all they're pissed about her partying they're pissed about her drug use they're pissed that she's just like this fucking firecracker and really just stealing the show and like um really it was when um the most like when their huge album went out the most popular songs were her songs like peace of my heart and summertime and they were they were upset so she decided to leave the band and it like wasn't an easy decision for her because those were her family members they were her best friends like she loved them and like they had their own fucking insecure things they had to deal with that they projected on her it's like fuck dude like you probably never went on to be anything after janice left that band like why couldn't you just be second string and like have the fame that she brought to your life that you probably would never have without her you know and so she had to leave and she went on to try and like do her own solo thing and um after like her first historic performance at Woodstock in 1969, she released her first solo album, but it had like a bunch of mixed reviews and like the media outlets criticized the fuck out of her. And she was back in this position where she felt totally like critiqued like about being a woman and about like who she was as a woman in like a totally like male dominated industry. So like she really struggled to be solo during that time period like the only solo artists were like other men and like she was trying to be a solo artist and like it was kind of in that world where it's like nah like you got to be in a band like you know and so that was like a huge problem for Janice and she like didn't do well on that solo album and people weren't like digging it that much and they weren't really like digging her and it like led her to get like deeper 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 into drugs so she like really started struggling with alcohol and like actual heroin addiction 
So, like, she's in this weird place, and, like, she decides she's going to go off to Rio, like, Brazil, because she wants to attend Carnival, and she literally, like, goes to Carnival, and then she, like, hitchhikes around fucking Brazil, like, by herself, and while she's fucking out there, like, exploring Brazil, she's over at this, like, beach, I can't remember what it's called, um, but she meets a man, and this man didn't know who she was. Like, he like he knew who Janis Joplin was. He just didn't know it was her. She was on a fucking beach in Rio. Like, you know? Like, he, like, had no reason to think, like, that's Janis Joplin. And so she, like, they, like, end up in the same kind of vicinity of the beach. They're, like, right by each other. And he looks at her. And he's telling the story. Like, I'm watching him tell this story on this documentary. And he says, she lifted her sunglasses up and looked at me and said, hi, you cute thing. He tells the person interviewing him, I thought to myself, cute thing, I've just been walking around the jungle for months. Like, he fucking probably looked like a giant homeless man, you know? (laughs) And she's, like, hitting on him, being like, what's up, cute thing? So they went back to the hotel that first night, because it was, like, on, like, Donkey Kong, and he noticed that, like, she wasn't sleeping, and, like, she was having cold sweats, and, like, something was going on with her, and so she admitted to him, like, I'm trying to kick the habit, like, I'm, like, out here trying to, like, get off drugs, that's why I'm by myself, and I'm in Rio, and, like, I'm literally trying to, like, fix myself, and so he fucking is, like, all right, girl, like, I'm in it to win it with you, and he spends, like, the next three days literally just holding her while she's just fucking like literally just like suffering he's like she's like crying throwing up sweating and this fool doesn't leave her fucking side he just holds her and he hugs her and he gives her comfort and like they get through it and he like brings her back to like health and like wellness and they're out here in Rio and like living the fucking life and he described her that like once she kicked the habit like she was the most beautiful the most calm the most freeing like he was she was the best girl he'd ever met in his whole life like once she was able to kick, kick that addiction and he said that he had never had a woman inspire him before and it just like straight stopped him in his tracks like he was supposed to head to North Africa next on his travels and he was like oh hell no I'm not going anywhere like I will never leave this woman basically so they go back to California together and they spend like all this great time in the city like they move to San Francisco together and they're just like she's not really doing that much performing because she's just like loving this fool and they have this great relationship together and I think she's just like trying to focus on like finding like grounding like health and so they're they're great they're fucking like the great greatest things in sliced bread but like he for whatever reason would periodically leave to like either go do work stuff or I don't remember what he, what it was that he was leaving for but he basically was like every time I had to leave town she'd get back into drugs So he'd, like, come back home and be like, what's wrong with you? And she'd be like, nothing. And he'd be like, no, I can fucking tell, like, you did some shit while I was gone. So, like, it became a huge problem. And he was like, I was watching her kill herself. Like, I couldn't fucking deal with this. Like, I tried so hard to be there and help her. But, like, it was more painful for me to, like, love this person so much that, like, I couldn't help. Like, she wasn't going to ever get clean basically like her addiction was too strong and so he was really upset and like really heartbroken and you can tell when he's like telling the story in the interview that like he had to make a hard decision and that decision was to leave and walk away and he it was a decision he didn't want to make but he had to yeah 
So he leaves Janice and she's all pissed off because he she's like what the fuck like we were we were each other's loves like you can't, I can't believe you left me blah 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 blah. And so like it's over and obviously she's now just like fully back to being an addict because she's like well what's the point. And so um unfortunately Janice's next album Pearl would be her most successful album, but tragically, it was also her last. Uh, Following her long struggle with substance abuse, she'd ended up dying of an accidental heroin overdose on October 4th in 1970 at a hotel in Hollywood. Um, Her producer at the time completed her album Pearl for her, which was released in 1971 and quickly became, like, the biggest hit ever, like, the most significant of all the songs was me and bobby mcgee um and then due to her like untimely death or despite her untimely death she continued to attract new fans and inspire for performers and in recognition of her significant accomplishments janice was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 1995 and she was honored with a recording academy lifetime achievement award at the grammy awards in 2005 like I mentioned earlier, she was coined the first lady of rock and roll. And I kind of want to end on a quote, one of the last things that something that she had said, which I'm not, I'm going to tell you flat out, like it's, it's sad, like it's fucking depressing. Um, but I think it's a true testament of what she experienced throughout her entire life until she died. And it's not pleasant, but it's the truth and it's the raw reality of Janice's struggles. So she said, she's being interviewed, and she says, very, like, it's, like, a filmed, like, interview, and you can see the look in her eyes as she's speaking, and it's coming from a really, really sad place in her heart as she's saying this. She goes, this whole thing that's happened to me, you see, this whole success thing, it hasn't really compromised the position that I took a long time ago back in Texas, which was to be true to myself, to be the person that was on the inside of me, and to not to play games. That's what I'm trying to do mostly in the whole world, is to not bullshit myself. And that's it. I mean, it doesn't sound sad, but maybe it's sad to watch her say it. It was really sad because I think what she's trying to say is I spent my whole life trying not to bullshit myself, but like I wasn't successful. Yeah. And that's Janice Joplin. So wait, sorry, she died in seventy. So how old was she when she? She was twenty-seven. Fuck. That's so young. I know. That's so young. But. I love her. Yeah. I relate to her. Yes. I've lived her life yeah. in, like, quite a large capacity, except yeah. for the fame part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, literally her whole life in San Francisco was mine. Yeah. Until I, like, sobered up and shit. Yeah. Which she just didn't sober up. I, so, I relate to, like, I actually relate to this story a lot, and I'm so glad you covered her, because I don't know... I know her music, but I don't really know that much about her. And I know that she OD'd at a young age, and that's all I really know. Um, I relate so much to, like, her earlier life of just being, like, an outcast and people... Like, my whole life growing up, people made fun of my looks. Like, when I was in junior high, I would walk down the hallways and people would spit on me. 
Oh, yeah. Like, there was this one guy, I remember in eighth grade, who would, like, shudder every time he saw me to, like, let me know he thought I was ugly. He'd be like, ugh, every time he saw me. There was another guy who, like, called me a troll. Yeah. Like, so I, like, super relate to that, like, just being completely demolished by your peers and men in particular, like, due to your looks and, like, just to you being who you are. Ugh, like, the super... I'm so glad you covered her. Like, I'm also going through a weird thing right now around, like, where I belong in the world and, like, how much I want to be visible. And, like, just her bravery and like despite all of that shit like making herself visible and letting people see like the amazing talent and the amazing gifts she had to offer the world and unfortunately it ended tragically but it's super inspiring that like she had the gumption to do that despite how attacked she was and despite how much people are trying to keep her down yeah Um, so glad you covered her right she's so great uh, like and you know like it's it's it sounds weird to say this but like when i'm in low places in my life and when i'm feeling questionable about my own identity and about my own self-worth and about like am i a valuable person to the people around me when i think about her and her story it literally gives me so much fucking empowerment yeah because it's just like it's just like I'm going to put on that fucking boa and I'm going to throw on the sequin high heels and I'm going to fucking go out there and I'm going to belt the goddamn sound out of my throat. Like, I'm going to be exactly who I am unapologetically and if it doesn't fit somebody's ideal of what they want then it's their fucking loss like that was my favorite part of her story is when you like it sounded like she had a mo like a moment in her youth where she decided fuck it this is who i i'm going all the way committing to what i am fuck these guys i'm done and that's just incredible and so brave and so brave and you think about even kids today who are i mean kids are literally committing suicide because they're bullied at school and how hard it is to survive all that stuff and that she committed in that way is so powerful in this in the freaking 60s or whatever in texas yeah yeah really incredible she gives me a lot of strength and like reminds me that like i'm talented i have a lot to fucking offer i'm colorful i am a wild child i'm a butterfly like like my light can't be dimmed and like sometimes sometimes it gets dimmed and i have to remember that like whatever's dimming it isn't fucking worth it yeah like i gotta be janice at all fucking times yeah well and you know what your light ebbs and flows some some i mean sometimes you can't see it as brightly and then you're and then you snap back to reality and you're like oh yeah yeah, this is who the fuck i am exactly what it is i'm so glad you covered her seriously like i needed that so right i fucking needed that uh she's so incredible so what do you think her sign is i've three guesses and i okay there's so my first guess is aquarius no no i don't know if i don't like i wouldn't have known this my second guess well my next two guesses are both water signs is she no she's not a water i have i literally have no idea she's an earth sign is she capricorn she's a capricorn okay 
I mean, I mean she I, got to the top. Of, that's I mean, what she that was, was the just, top. That was literally the one thing I was going to say. Like, yeah. if she, I mean, she's a Capricorn, and she spent her whole life r- climbing the ladder, exactly. and she got there. That's the most Capricorn about her. I right. don't know so much about the other qualities of her personality. I don't know. I think similar to, um, not Aquarius, Scorpios, Capricorns are super persistent, like eyeball hanging off the socket (laughs) bones broken yeah tattered in rags and they'll still keep going so that makes sense that yeah because that sounds like that was a lot of her life so yeah yeah all right when was her birthday uh her birthday is oh my god i didn't write it down (laughs) i think it was january 19th Hold on, let me look, because I'm okay. going to be angry at myself. Okay. Oh, yeah, January 19th. She was okay. born January 19th, 1943. Okay. Isn't that um, wild? Yeah, I can see some of that, though. I Aquarius was my first guess, just because she didn't, like, she was out of this world and didn't belong yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And then my next guess is we're going to be Pisces for the same reason, also because she's artistic. And then I that my third guess was going to be Cancer, just because she seemed to really love the people she loved. But that's also, I think, Capricorns, once they actually love people, kind of never stop loving them, like, ever. So I just looked up all her other uh, stuff. Okay. So her son's in Capricorn. Her moon is in Cancer. Okay. Her ascendant is Aquarius. (laughs) And her Mercury's in Sagittarius. I mean, okay, well, there you have it. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, all of that fits. Janice Joplin, baby girl, rest in peace. Baby girl, rest in fucking please. Thank you for all of the empowerment and enlightenment you've given me to my own female identity. It's also just a testament to, like, despite how tragic her story is, when people live their truth, how you just never know how you're going to change someone else's life by living your own truth, you know? To this day, and like year, I mean, we weren't even alive when she died, and she's still continuing to inspire people to be who they are. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. It's incredible. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I was recently just a few days ago in Charleston, South Carolina, which is super cute. I highly recommend everybody go. It is incredible. It's like a cleaner version of New Orleans. And a much richer version of New Orleans. But their bar game is popping. Like, you can... I just drank forever. (laughs) I was just drinking from dawn till dusk. We need to do that trip because when I went to the exact same trip as you, Savannah Hilton had in Charleston, I was with my family. So there wasn't much fucking craziness I could get into. I feel like that would be a great podcast trip for us. Right? We could do an episode in each town. How fun would that be? That would be so fun. Okay, that'll be our first podcast road trip for for all 13 of our listeners. We've got up one. Okay. So on this trip, we, my friend, I was with my friend Tatiana and her and I went on a walking tour and I forget what the name of the tour was, but it essentially was like the underbelly of Charleston. So it was like prostitutes and surly characters and whatever, pirates and shit. I don't know. By the time it was like an 8 p.m. tour. So by the time we showed up, I was like totally hammered because we've been drinking all day long. But 
we covered the story of this woman on that tour that I was like, I was writing it in my phone, literally like holding a margarita in one hand, which is illegal, <laughs> by the way, there. And you cannot drink in public in Charleston. But that didn't stop me. And uh, <laughs> I'm taking notes in my phone with the other. And I decided that I was going to do this episode on a woman who among wait hold on okay go i was going to do this episode on a woman who is known as the most successful most notorious most famous madame and brothel owner in charleston history and her name was grace pack pake so I'm probably saying her last name wrong. Pixoto, Pixoto. Not sure. Anyway, she was a mega hoe and a mega entrepreneur. <laughs> so the story of Grace. She is born in 1817 to a Jewish family on the island of St. Thomas in the West Indies. So she's a Jew from the West Indies. She is f- the fifth of nine children, which, like, can you imagine? No. <laughs> birthing nine children what the fuck i couldn't imagine birthing one what animalistic human being is that i don't know it's that it's that first mitzvah in the jewish tradition like you just gotta pop those babies out oh my god at least they start slipping out easier after number like two i think (laughs) they just walk out at that point (laughs) just like moon walking out of your vagina anyway so she's right literally in the middle of her of her brood. Her parents immigrated from St. Thomas to South Carolina in 1818. So she's like a baby. She's less than a year old. And her father was a Hazan in Charleston from 1823 to 1835. So a Hazan is basically an officiator of a synagogue. So like just for the ease of those non-Jews of us, he's basically a reverend in so many words, in the Jewish community. So she becomes this prostitute from a reverend father, which is a super interesting story. By the time Grace is 20 years old, both of her parents are dead, because it's the 1800s and people just die constantly. Uh, And I don't know how she got this money. I think on the walking tour, he said she inherited it after her dad died, but I was a little bit drunk, so I'm not sure. But she... (laughs) But she ends up with $2,000 in her hand, which in 1830 or whatever is a fuck ton of money. I wouldn't mind getting that much now. And she, with that $2,000, she purchases a lot on Beresford Street in Charleston, where in 1852, she builds a three-story brick building, which comes to be known as the Big Brick Brothel. So... The long and short of it, pun intended, is that Charleston was this very debaucherous town, kind of in the same way San Francisco was, in the same way New Orleans was. A lot of bootlegging, a lot of prostitution, a lot of crime, a lot of sailors and drinking, just like a shit show of a town. And whorehouses in Charleston were absolutely toe-back disgusting. They were essentially just like gigantic open rooms full of mattresses, where people would just be fucking in the same room. Like, there was no private rooms. It would just imagine how disgusting that was. You would just go into this house that was just an open floor plan, and there were mattresses on the floor, and you would get it in and get out, get on with your life. Disgusting. So Grace, being the super sharp entrepreneuress that she was 
totally changed the game by having the down the first two floors of her brothel were a parlor so men could come in they could get a drink they could smoke cigars if they wanted to talk politics with the other guys they could if they wanted to flirt it up with the women they could and then when they were ready to get they freak on they could go upstairs to private bedrooms which were a huge luxury in the hoeing community in charleston at that time so very quickly her establishment gains popularity gets very successful and it becomes very popular with the upper echelon because they could be discreet there it wasn't just this disgusting fucking free-for-all in a warehouse full of beds they could actually come and have a good night have good conversation have a good drink get laid and then go home And so she becomes very successful very quickly to the point where she's kind of got local politicians, people in power on her side, maybe not publicly, but she has a lot of leeway. And she actually has, I want to read this quote um, of hers where she's defending her institution and she's talking about policemen who would occasionally come raid their brothel because that happened but for the most part they left her alone because a lot of them were going to her establishment this is the quote I know that you policemen have to make your money on the side and that we have to pay you for protection, and that's all right. I know that you have to have a raid every once in a while and fine us, and that's all right. But there's one thing I object to. I object to you writing the charge against me for maintaining a disorderly house. I want to have you know that I have the most quiet, respectable, ladylike whores south of the Mason-Dixon line. Oh my God. (laughs) So she was a hoe, but she was a classy fucking hoe. Fuck yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. And so she, I don't, I didn't, I couldn't find exact numbers on her income, but I know on the tour, he basically was like, by today's standards, she became a millionaire. Wow. Running this, running this whorehouse essentially, and on the tour, I couldn't find. There's not a lot of info of her online, so this will be kind of short. And I didn't get this confirmed online, but I want to believe it, so I'm going to believe it. He mentioned that not only was she trying to make money, she had dozens of girls working under her. She also wanted her girls to basically find themselves a husband so that you have to keep in mind it's like the 1800s you could either if you were born into money you could marry into money or your life was just going to be trash if you were a woman so whoring it up was actually a really good way for girls to get by and it was probably the best chance they had at landing an upper echelon husband and so that ended up being the case a lot so not only was she getting paid and providing a service for her male customers she was actually kind of almost this career counselor for women who didn't have money in the 1800s like it was a way for them to move up in the world uh that's what the tour guide said and i'm choosing to believe it (laughs) so she's super she's quite rich and very successful she was the madam so she was like overseeing the place but she also would occasionally prostitute herself and i couldn't find info on that but i wanted to i want to know more like when you are grace who you get to choose who you sleep with you know what i mean when she's running the whorehouse she gets to choose who she's whoring herself out to yeah and i just would have loved to know who she chose but i couldn't find any information on damn it i know maybe if i dug a little bit deeper but i did this all in an hour and a half (laughs) she buys two additional buildings 
So she buys another three-story building and and a one-story building next door to this other building. So she literally has this entire complex that she's running. Uh, And this is kind of gross, but it's a testament to how much money she had. By 1860, she owned seven slaves, which is like gross that you owned people. I just bring it up to show, like, if you owned seven slaves in 1860 Charleston, you had bank. Yeah, uh, so she was making money, and she actually, uh, because her establishment was so renowned and coveted, and she was very big on privacy and very big on um, discretion. Politicians actually used her space as campaign headquarters for multiple campaigns. So politicians would like rent out her space to do their politician stuff, and then probably also get laid after the. Oh fact. fuck yeah! Yeah, and she actually convinced the city council to like to to officially pave the area in front of her big brick building which because this is the 1800s you're just, it's just dirt but she convinced the city council and they actually did it to pave the outside of her place because she dedicated it to the citizens of charleston so she's probably like had a lot of friends in the government who are coming by and frequenting her spot oh hell yeah and her vagina and her vagina if she wanted <laughs> She she never had children, which I also, I was like, how is that possible? Like, what were you doing for birth control? And if you never had kids and you were a prostitute, just curious, don't know. Don't know how they did it back then. She never had children and she never, quote unquote, married. However... I read this article online. So she, Grace dies in 1880 at the age of about 63 years old. And the executor of her will was a man named Jacob Myers. And supposedly she marries him on her deathbed, basically just to give him rights to all her property. So he inherits her entire estate and he goes on to rent out the big brick to a bunch of broth to a bunch of madams after the fact. So it stays a brothel pretty much forever. Uh, until the property is uh, shut down in 1942 by the U.S. Navy. So I don't know how or why the U.S. Navy had jurisdiction to shut down a brothel, but that's what I read online. So they shut that down in 19... 19- <laughs> Maybe, like, all their fucking Navy guys were, like, getting, like, syphilis or whatever. <laughs> and they they're probably like, were. We need to put an end to the dick dying they're like this is enough we need our men healthy uh at any rate so they shut it down in 1942 and she opened it in 52 so that place is popping for 90 years fuck! 90 fucking years even after she died and it was always known as more of a bougie brothel like it was the place where the nice gentlemen went yeah you know know? and where the and where the hysterical and where the quote quiet respectable lady like whores south of the mason dixon line hung out um <laughs> bitch this <laughs> this is not a joke because i saw the sign like live in person the building the 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 big brick building the original building was bought in 1996 by by brothers who are coffee importers who literally are named the Balzac brothers you're <laughs> The name, I am not fucking kidding. The sign is on the fucking building. It's it's spelled (laughs) B-A-L-Z-A-C. I was drunk on that tour. And this is this historical tour. And everyone's being way too serious. And they're way too sober. I lost my shit when we read that sign. 
side. I was like, oh my god, the ball sack brother. Got it out. bought by the by two unfortunate or fortunate brothers named Balzac. That's fucking amazing. I kind of like I'm like, are you guys single? <laughs> Will you marry me? Like I just want your last name. Oh my god. <laughs> that is so great. Because then my name would be Colleen Joy Balzac. And I just <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be such a good name. <laughs> just for, if you guys are listening, if you're one of our 13 listeners, hit me up. So the best part is the middle name Joy. (laughs) So again, Grace dies in 1880 at the age of about 63. Which, considering the fact that this is the 1800s during the Civil War, and she was running a whorehouse, like great work, like way to stay alive that long. When she died, religious leaders weren't sure what to do because she was jewish by birth she didn't really belong to any religion in life and nobody wanted to basically like bury the mega hoe at their church they were like i don't yeah. want to fucking bury her body but the local unitarian church ended up undertaking the task her funeral procession was at that time the second longest procession in charleston history second only to local politician john calhoun who for reference was a vice president of the united states wow so her funeral was second only to a vp of the u.s and she had as you might imagine a ton of male friends in power whether they were customers of her own poussoir or her ladies poussoirs but because she was very obviously known, she was known as like as the local like ho du jour. Men didn't want to show up to her funeral, so they sent empty carriages. Oh my so god! So that so that the presence and like the the number would be there, but yeah. they didn't want to show their dirty little faces. Yeah, and that's basically again. Not mine is really short. That is the story of Grace Pake Soto. Never married, never had kids, killed the game, became rich as shit, just fucking dudes, and have another woman fuck dudes. But I mean, like, seriously, like, in the 1800s, it had me thinking. I was like, in the 1800s, there were only, and Tatiana, my friend, and I talked about this, there were only two jobs I would be down for, being a prostitute or being a pirate. That was it. <laughs> Those are like the only ways is like a female you could have real freedom. <laughs> and so she, Grace, fucking figured it out. And wait, 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 hold on. The irony in all of this is that both graces you've covered yes! were pirates and prostitutes. I was just gonna say, and I love that the two graces I have covered are like the most badass, surly, gnarly, badass bitches prostitute and pirate <laughs> so if you want if you want your child to be a prostitute or a pirate name her grace that is the moral of the story oh my god i'm dying that's such a great story i could only imagine like how fucking petrified her like synagogue father was well so i like he was dead by the time she started her <laughs> her uh i was called it a synagogue <laughs> by the time she started her brothel but I, I like there's so little info on her i'm like how did she come to that decision because she had money she obviously had enough money yeah. to buy that house and i and so i i 
in my mind, I've created this narrative where she just wanted to be free and make a lot of money. Yeah. And that's what she did. Maybe and she could see, like, during, especially probably even more so during that time period, that men are just, like, typically vegetables that need to have their dick sucked. Vegetables so she was dicks. like, this is the greatest way of profiting. All I have to do is put a body in front of their dicks and I will become a millionaire. Like, what like embarrassment on their end but what profitable gang for me well and then she had the wherewithal and the acumen to be like okay all the other brothels in town are basically just mattress warehouses yeah i can kick this shit up really quick if i turn this into a whole establishment and that's what she did and she made bank and that's so funny and that's the story i know it's short but that's it's fine okay i have like an immediate guess on her uh, zodiac sign okay cool go go but do we know what her zodiac sign I do. is i have her birthday is she an aries no that's okay so she's not she's not a fire sign but i think if you think about her line of work you might be able to guess what she is she's not a fire sign she's not a fire sign she a Taurus? No. Oh. Because they always have big dick fucking energy. <laughs> BDE! <laughs> uh, the only person I've ever been in love with was a Taurus. <sighs> Can I say it? Yeah, say it. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to get, do you want another guess? Uh, yeah, tell one you? more guess. Okay. I mean, honestly, my third and final guess would have to be Gemini. So close in many ways. She's a Scorpio. Oh, I wanted to say Scorpio, but she just seems too, like, emotionless. She's too s- practical? Yeah, practical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, October 30th, 1817. So, like, Scorpios were supposed to be, like, freaky deaky sexual, right? Yeah, so that's true. That's, that's true. That's, that's why I said, like, based on her yeah. occupation, you might be able to guess. So. That's funny. I just, like, totally feel like Aries is the type to, like, literally own a brothel and, like, be stoked off of it and, like, take, like, monetary value out of that. I just feel, I see what you're saying. I think Aries are too hot of messes to run a successful business. Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) So maybe like a Leo. I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's Grace Texado or however the fuck you say. I was so, when he was talking about her, I just assumed she was going to be Italian based on her last name. And I was super intrigued to find out she was Jewish. And then, fun side note, as I'm reading up on her, there's like this whole interesting history around the Jews in Charleston and like how they made their way in like a very kind of underground informal economics. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so Charleston is super cute. I would, we should go if you're listening, definitely go. It has some gnarly ass slave history that is like really weird and dark. Um, and a shit ton of southern money i mean you were there jesus christ that place is i mean we talk about new orleans as having old money but it's really only a really small section of town like it's literally half a mile of town is old money and the rest of it is just a bunch of poor people like me but um whatever i'm not even poor i live in like the bougiest part of town what the fuck am i talking you're in the fucking garden district like the (laughs) nicest town in fucking new orleans paying like hell of money and rent i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but uh, Charleston is like it's just mansions on mansions on mansions yeah. on mansions on I couldn't believe it we rented bikes and rode around for a couple days 
Um, really nice. Great bar Love scene, it. though. Yeah. I like, I'm so stoked you covered this lady. She's fucking hilarious. I'm really into the great, like, And the Grace ball sack is- had me laughing for literally <laughs> 10 minutes. Like, like, I couldn't stop laughing. Like, I just couldn't stop laughing. I would not, if I had, like, not been there in person and seen the sign and just read that online, like, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have been like, somebody's trolling Wikipedia. There's no way that's real. That is amazing. It's the Ballsack Brothers. Love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. We need to get, like, a name for ourselves, like, similar to that, but, like, not. Ball, I mean, I... Like, that's maybe the best last name I've ever heard. I don't know what's better than Balsack. But, like, it would need to not be about dicks because we don't yeah, have them. It would have to be, like, ovary-related or, like, fallopian tube-related. If your last name is Cunt, hit us up. <laughs> if your last name is Pusswa or Pussy <laughs> or Pusspus, hit us up. Oh, my up. God. That's so great. Oh, man. Um, um, should we wrap up telling people where we're going to be going? Yeah. What we're going to be doing? Yeah, we need to plan that. But yeah, I know. I uh, well, I'm gonna. Well, that's what go. I'm gonna be. That's what I'm gonna be focusing on tomorrow and Sunday. Okay, cool. Uh, so um, in January, I think it's the 19th through the 20th. 19th and the 20th yeah. is PodCon two in Seattle, Washington. And because Melissa and I are basically famous podcasters at this point, we decided. <laughs> That we were going to go. So on the, on the rare chance that any of y'all are going, we'd love to see you. We're going to have a booth there, or like a little table. Um, and I guess we should record an episode while we're there. Can if we not, do that? I'm not necessarily at the conference, but don't you feel like we should record oh, like yeah, that yeah, weekend yeah. Like in, in person? in a hotel room or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, you guys... If you, I wanted, to, I told Melissa, I was like, we should start a GoFundMe, but she was like, no one will donate, it'll just hurt our feelings. <laughs> but you know what? I'm gonna make one. Okay. And if you guys want to donate, that's great. And if you don't, I'll pretend that that's fine. <laughs> but we'll secretly hex you with blood magic. Oh my god, I love it. Uh, anything to add? Anything no, else? No, no, just that I'm fucking excited to go to Seattle and I'm super stoked to like be in a podcast world with other podcasters and yeah. people that we can like get advice from and like network with and like hopefully just you know build a bigger audience and like get more building blocks to make this more successful than it's been and i'm just super fucking stoked i think it'll just be super exciting too to be around that energy yeah i think that's what we need yeah yeah because like this has been such a like a do-it-yourself creative outlet and i think the biggest boost that we need is to actually realize that it doesn't just have to be a do-it-yourself creative outlet yeah like, yeah. it, can, it can literally become something larger and more career-related than what we've had it be so far. And But it's, it's just hard to, like, believe that when you can't see it. And so I think seeing it will really, really fucking help light the fire. Yeah. And it'll be our first... If nothing else, it'll be our first opportunity to record an episode in the same fucking room in the same time zone. I don't even know how we're going to do that. I bet you it'll be the best episode of our life. Like, it'll do we be use so good. one microphone? Probably. How weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we can get rid of my cellophane panties shit. 
<laughs> yeah, again, I know that it clicked all episode, specifically in mine, because that's how life works this week for me. I apologize. But just, like, we're not scrapping the episode, because I need this to be out in the world, because it's it helps my healing. Exactly. Um, so, get through it. And if you happen to be in Seattle, or if you happen to have seattle affiliated or based women that you think we should cover in our on-site seattle episode please email us at mosasisterhood at gmail.com we would love to cover them but we are not going to cover courtney love at least even didn't even know she was from seattle i don't know i just associate her with kurt cobain and i just associate him with seattle and i don't know any of that is true but I, I, that was never once has been one of the triggers for me when I've heard either of their names, but <laughs> like not related. You know, like, all I think about are the plaid shirts I used to wear in San Francisco. Yes. Ooh, plaid shirt men. They're everywhere in, in the Pacific Northwest. I know. I need to move to the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Yes. Move to we Portland. Just, I think move we should Portland. move to Portland. Move to Portland. I think I should move to Portland. I, so, whatever, we can cut this out. I, like, (laughs) being out of town, like, I love New Orleans, but there was a piece of me that I'm like, I don't know how long I can live in any city for long, but, like, New Orleans is a hard city to live in in some ways. Like, it's very, it's very isolated. There's no, I love it, but it's, like, very, like, there's nowhere to go. Like, you can't, like, get... The next coolest city is, like, Miami or whatever. Or, like, Austin, Texas, eight hours away. You know what I mean? It's very isolating. So, I've been thinking about, like, what my next move will be. Although, I gotta say, Savannah... Oh, I love Savannah. I loved Savannah. Probably one of my favorite places in the world, even though I haven't been to a lot of places. I... So, there is a, a school there called SCAD... Did you, like, did you see that or hear about that? So it's the Savannah College of Art and Design. It's a private art school. They do have an MFA program, but, like, they are notoriously expensive. Like, stupid expensive. But I was like, I would love to just live here. It's so cute. Savannah's really cute. Maybe I should move to Portland, Oregon and live in, like, a $400 a month apartment and then, like, have a coffee shop job and then, like, literally, like, write the book I've been putting off for 10 years. Why not? I don't know. Why not? I fucking hate my career and I think that's why my vibration is so low and why all these men are destroying my life. Yeah, I was, okay, like, this is off podcast now. Well, like, let's wrap it up and then I have something to say to you before you go. Okay. Well, I don't. don't, (laughs) We gotta leave the podcast because we gotta talk real biz, and you can't know what we're gonna say. So so let's wrap this shit up. I do have some women of the week. I just want to say for once, I know, and it's only like as much as I fucking like off the podcast to you and everyone else in my life complain about my job. There's a lot of faulty, negative shit in my job, but the one thing I will say is that when a girl walks into her office on a Monday morning, makeupless, puffied face, eyes beat red, and looking like she just got dragged through a fucking gutter, the 105 women that I work with were like, mm. who we gotta kill? Aww. And like, I can't even express enough how grateful I am to 
three girls in particular, Julia, Shauna, and Megan, for fucking building me up when I felt like I was at the lotus that I had been in a year, maybe. And, like, and not in, like, a crazy, raged, feminist type of way. Not, like, fuck him and fuck that. Like, no, they were just, like, just, like, what happened? Okay, like, it's all right. Like, let's think about this. Like, how are you feeling? It's okay. I get it. Like, just more just, like, really nurturing and compassionate and just, like, providing, like, that type of, like, sensitivity that I needed. And just being, like, can we hug you? And then just, like, hugging me. And, like, let's go to, like, just, you know, just kind of, like, this, like, soft, like... Taking care uh, of you. Yeah, they just kind of, like, took care of me. Yeah. And, like... I'm not the type of chick that's, like, out here throwing out hugs every day. And, like, in this weird moment, I was so crushed and it, like, forced me to accept love that I don't normally accept. And, like, they know I'm weird like that because I, like, keep people at a distance for the most part. And I, like, in that moment was like, okay, it's been four years since I've known you guys, but I'm ready to take your love. (laughs) Like, it was like, okay, fine, like hug me and love me now because they actually really need it (laughs) women do it better the grateful dead have a song called women are smarter look it up they really they do god bless it i know all right well this has been a two and a half hour episode (laughs) thank you so much for listening join us in seattle in january yeah (laughs) all right we're done here all right bye bitches adios fuckers Just kidding. I love you.